Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Popcorn Coalition. I'm Pastor Kevin. And I'm Pastor Evan. And I'm Quentin, baby. I mean, not Quentin, baby. Quentin Seltzer, baby. Right. Anyway, today we're talking about trans rights. Well, of course, trans are all over Europe. I even heard a guy got hit by a tran the other day, right in the trans station. (laughs) Of course. I'm sure Evan is talking about the European transgender network founded in vienna in 2005 so do you guys like thomas the tank engine better or percy heaven heaven let's not talk baby talk baby i mean clearly mr conductor was the cool one am i right <laughs> maybe on a good day sir topham hat uh, sir topham hat didn't even appear until the sad story of henry and trans rights that's what we're talking about how do christians feel about trans rights <laughs> i mean on the one hand we want to be biblical But on the other hand, we want to be, you know, popular. I mean, popular in the sense that we care about the populace, like we care what the populace thinks. Popcorn. Uh, what's that, Ev? Uh, we're the Popcorn Coalition. That's us. Okay, guys, that's, that's well and good. Good and plenty. M&Ms. Guys, this is not a word association game. Penguins. Guys, let's go ahead and rein it in. If I could just transition. Of course you could, Kevin. And no one here would judge you. Except for Christians, Clinton, because it's unbiblical. Well, there's a lot of points of view on that one, Ev. Yeah, heretical ones, terrible ones, and uh, the biblical one. I've hardcore transitioned. Would you guys believe I used to identify as a nerd? I think, Clinton, and this is just a theory, that when Kevin said he wanted to transition, what he actually meant is that he wanted to transition the topic. Thank you, Evan. I'm so glad you got us back on track. Choo-choo! <laughs> All aboard the train! It's pronounced train, guys? Trains rights! Trains rights! Do you mean trans rights or rights for Thomas the Tank Engine? Guys, this is no time for children's stories. Actually, Kevin, the more difficult and serious the issue is, the more we need simple stories to help us understand it. Like the story about my friend Jan. Jan is an intersex individual who identifies as transgender queer, although they... Quentin, this is your simple story? Also, while we're at it, some people prefer the term gender non-conforming over trans. Like the gender non-conforming Siberian Orchestra. No, Evan, it's the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. So did they all get surgeries or what? No, Ev... uh, Listen, Kevin, it's confusing out there for people. We Christian organizations, we have a duty to take what's confusing and make it to feel more... Unconfusing? I was going to say spiritual, but yeah, that works too, I guess. Okay, let's get back to trans rights. Choo-choo! You know what? You, you guys can both leave right now. Hey, not, not sure I heard you right there, Kev baby. We at the Popcorn Coalition are not so desperate for content that we'll just let anyone with any vague doctrinal connection to us Blather nonsense. Well, sure, Kevin. Yeah, you wouldn't want that. What kind of coalition would we be if we did that? Precisely right, Evan. Now, if one of us doesn't have something clear, concise, and helpful to say about all this trans stuff, I'm going to end the episode right now. You're now listening to The Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Hey everybody, welcome to Sound of Sanity. I'm Nathan Hopperson, your humble and obedient host, joined by two of my very, very good friends. We've got Benjamin Solzer, right there. Hi Nathan, I'm right here. Associate performer on the program, <laughs> contributor, <laughs> helps produce it, conceive of it, mm. all around good guy. Mm. 
Hi. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? Ben, I'm great. Wow. I'm so happy. And one of the reasons I'm happy is because I'm about to have you introduce a person whose name rhymes with Rake Stencil. Huh. Wow. I can't think who that would be unless it's Pastor Jake Mensel, who's sitting right across from me. Pastor who's a master of sanity. Hi, Jake. Hi, Ben. How are you? I'm doing so well. Thanks. Huh. I know you are, Jake. Mm-hmm. Back to you, Nathan. <laughs> Oh no! It's the awkward intro alarm. <laughs> I, I meant to uninstall that alarm. Yeah, you, Sorry. Well, there's a lot of alarms to get to. And speaking of things that we need to get to, let's get to the thing we're talking about today, which is the thing we're alarmed about. Yes. Hey, look, at, hey! look at that. See how I did that? Yes, sir. Ben, you're fired. <laughs> I'm ready to go host my own podcast, Nathan. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I made that demoted. pretty clear. You demoted from associate performer to assistant performer. Yeah, assistant to the associate performer. <laughs> Guys, we don't have time to waste today. Listen, we are going to apply our skills to dissecting an article by none other than Case Thorpe. Case Thorpe. Oh, that's oh. great. Okay. Who's Case Thorpe? Well, Jake, Case Thorpe is a gentleman who serves as the senior associate pastor at First Presbyterian Church Orlando, Florida, and is the moderator of the 39th General Assembly of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. We will, of course, link to the article that we are going to be talking about in the show notes. The article, I'll just go ahead and say, is called Courage and Tactics in the Gender Debate. It was published by none other than our old friends at the Gospel Coalition. Ah, uh, so that's why we care. That's why we care, yes. We do not just scroll the internet looking for people who write random things that we could pick apart because that'd be silly. That'd be, be going after easy targets. Well, yeah, every, everybody that's right. writes everything on the internet. So I'm sure we could, we're never, you know, we could Google something and find something that we could react against. So it wouldn't be that hard. But the Gospel Coalition is a place that conservative Christians and maybe some of our listeners still trust a little bit. Conservative, reformed-ish yeah. Christians, yeah. And so when they publish bad stuff, we don't like it. Yeah. We're against it. We are. And this one's particularly questionable in that it was written by this case Thorpe, who we said is the moderator of the 39th General Assembly of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Now, why is that interesting, Jake? Well, if you're just a normal... Baptist who is reformed or leans reformed or whatever, you might know, okay, there are good Presbyterians out there, there are bad Presbyterians out there, but if there are Presbyterians out there published by the Gospel Coalition, probably they're the good guys. So That's kind of what you go to the Gospel Coalition for, is they're going to collate most of what's good in yeah, our yeah, they're pulling the reformed world. The, they're pulling and promoting the good guys. So, okay, so he's the 39th moderator of the General Assembly of the Evangelical Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Or he's the moderator of the 39th General Assembly. I don't I, yeah. I suppose that would make him the 39th moderator. But maybe one of them died. Maybe not. Yeah. Like um, in the middle I of think you're, an assembly. That was a good correction. The moderator of the 39th General Assembly. Mm-hmm. So the EPC is a split from the United Presbyterian Church in the United States of America, or the UPCUSA. Presbyterians have alphabet soup kind of cornered. Mm -hmm. So the UPC USA, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, split off from the UPC USA in the early 1980s in the same way that the PCA, Presbyterian Church in America, split off from the PCUS, Presbyterian Church United States, in the 70s. 
when that happened, the U P C U S A. <laughs> Sounds like you're reading one of those vision charts. <laughs> and the, <laughs> like at the eye doctor. <laughs> so, so these were conservative splits. The EPC and the PCA were conservative splits. And then the UPCUSA and the PCUS merged and formed the PCUSA. And so that is the big liberal mainline Presbyterian denomination today. EPC and the PCA are both descended from what is now the PCUSA, you could say. Right. So why didn't these two conservative denominations merge as well? Why did the EPC split off instead of join the PCA? The main difference in this quote-unquote conservative splitting off is that the EPC wanted to maintain uh, something the PCA didn't, which is uh, women in ordained offices of pastor, elder, deacon. Now, they allow there to be churches in their denomination that don't subscribe to women's ordination, but they have a principle of maintaining freedom over it. So um, what makes them conservative or relatively conservative? Well, they still say no to things like abortion and are relatively conservative on things like uh, homosexuality. But as we'll see as we go through this article, we are talking about relative terms. Yes. And Mm -hmm. the old eyebrows should raise if you see the Gospel Coalition publishing something by the moderator of the General Assembly of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. We actually... They are already bad on sexuality to begin with. And then here is an article on the topic of gender and sexuality. We, we It's not really that easy to search, but we, we tried to find other articles by people in the EPC on the Gospel Coalition. We really couldn't find any. It's hard to say because what they're... Unless they have a credential like moderator of the General Assembly. Right. Their church might just be called something. It might just be called First Presbyterian Church. Right. Of so-and-so, and and it might be an EPC church or it might not. But maybe this case, Thorpe, has a lot of great things to say, and Mm -hmm. we won't have any criticisms, and this episode will be pointless. Because we never read what we're going to criticize before we start criticizing it. No. No. This stack of papers was delivered by a bunny rabbit, actually. (laughs) It's the magical sanity bunny, and it just brings us... Paper. Good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> yes, it right. brings us good stuff. Why should today be different than any other magical no. bunny paper delivery day? We trust the magical bunny paper delivery system. We do. We- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, long, we're long-time subscribers. Right. We wish it didn't cost so much in terms of money. Yeah, and other things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, let's with that bit of <laughs> usefulness out of the way, let's talk about this article. And guys... Sometimes we've gone through the Gospel Coalition articles, you know, we'll read something by our friend Brett McCracken or things like that, and we'll be a little snarky. I want us to, you know, let's, let's, let's approach this with the op- an open mind, and let's, I'm being serious here, let's approach this with an open mind, let's give them the benefit of a doubt anywhere that we can. Sounds good? All right. Yep. All right. So, this article is called... Courage and Tactics in the Gender Debate it is by Case Thorpe, and it begins, quote, In the movie Aladdin, the lead character serenades his love interest with now classic words. A whole new world, a new fantastic point of view. No one to tell us no, or where to go, or say we're only dreaming. These lyrics could also describe our culture's efforts to redefine gender. And these efforts definitely aren't dreams. Legislators are already passing speech codes for personal pronoun use, making school dress codes genderless, and adding multiple categories for gender on government documents. 
And if a Christian disagrees, the reaction is more than mere social pressure. At times, political violence has erupted as one group's vision for humanity overrides others in the name of rights. Unquote. How do we feel about this so far? Cheesy intro, but that's okay. Put your yeah. finger on a point of pressure that everybody feels. Yep. So far, mm-hmm. so good. We've been known to have a cheesy intro or two on Sound of Sanity. Maybe. 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 <laughs> I mean, it feels like maybe something we've done before. <laughs> anyway, let's go on. Quote, sadly, many in the church are knowingly and unknowingly adopting this brave new worldview. They don't recognize how they're being manipulated to embrace new categories of humanity in the name of compassion. As scholar Peter Jones notes, quote, the pressure comes from two directions, from hard-hearted ideologues determined to silence the Christian understanding of identity, and from kind-hearted Christians fearful of placing demands on suffering people and making the gospel appear heartless, unquote. Good? We good so far? Okay? Sure. Yep, I think so. People being manipulated in the name of compassion, it's true, happening Mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah, I mean, I might say that there's more categories than the ones that are kind of set up for us here, but yeah. we can we can give yeah. Mr. Thorpe or Pastor Thorpe that. Many, acknowledging that many in the church are knowingly adopting the worldview is important. Absolutely. Quote, to confront this crisis, church leaders must pivot toward apologetics. By regularly contrasting pagan anthropologies with the biblical witness, we can show the shortcomings of the new prevailing worldview and the soundness of Christian theology. Now, the article begins its first kind of subheading, which is philosophical categories. Reclaiming apologetic preaching and teaching around fundamental philosophical categories of personhood prepares Christians for a smart and effective witness concerning gender issues. Key to the gender debate is what makes a person and how one's gender is integral or not to that personhood. Christian theology gives us what we need to navigate this evolving cultural frontier. The Old and New Testaments are the foundation on which much of the Western tradition bases its ideas of a person. Divinely created, made in the divine image, marred by sin, redeemable by faith in the Lord Jesus, and charged to share his love in word and deed, this understanding of personhood in turn undergirds the West's global gifts of human rights, democracy, private property, contractual arrangements, and free enterprise. Are we still with Mr. Thorpe so far, guys? Yeah, I mean, it seems a little weak, but... Weak and wonky, but so far so good in its way. Yeah. Sure. We can we can give him needlessly technical, needlessly obtuse way of speaking. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. lots of people are taught to write that way now. They're taught that it's better to say, reclaiming apologetic teaching and preaching around fundamental philosophical categories of personhood prepares Christians for a smart and effective witness concerning gender issues, as opposed to something sensible like, we can better witness to people. If we uh, defend the faith in our preaching and teaching, specifically around what it means to be made in the image of God, we'll equip people to deal with the war on sexuality. I like that a lot better, but and we'll come back, I think, and talk more about the language in a little bit, but we'll give it to him right now. We do like his point that all the stuff that you you like, pagans, your iPhone, your laws, your protections, your all, all of Western civilization is founded on a Christian understanding of what it means to be made right. in the image of God. We've made that point all kinds of places on Sound of Sanity. All right, let me go Perfectly on. Perfectly fine point to make. Perfect. Not the only point to make, not the point to rest on, but definitely a good point to make. Uh, quote, without this framework, many values that our culture holds dear will collapse. If a person isn't created in the divine image, by what authority do humans possess dignity that deserves respect? If gender is fluid, why aren't other categories too? If humans aren't redeemable, what's the point of restorative justice? If there is no objective moral framework, why is it wrong for people to hoard material goods and power for themselves? A couple of those questions have questionable premises behind them, but on the whole, okay, 
fine. Yeah, we may or may not come back and look at this a little bit later, but we want to get to the real problem that we have with this article, which we may be actually entering into right now. And that is a little section called Power of Story. The Power of Story section begins thusly. Though debating gender issues requires engagement on the level of philosophical categories, it's also helpful to tell stories. In particular, stories that go against the cultural grain can open eyes to see situations in a new light. Ministers, therefore, need an anthology of real-world examples that question our culture's understanding of gender, biology, society, and personhood. Here are three brief examples. On gender, my college buddy's daughter, Sarah, told him three times as a child that she wanted to be a boy. She wanted the attention her brothers got and felt burdened by expectations as a young lady. Was she crying out to be male? Clearly not. Child psychologists tell us this is a natural part of childhood. Today, Sarah gladly embraces her femininity and calling as a woman of God. Gender is biological and gender is social, and a strong social fabric helps lead children to the future God has in store for them. As we discern between gender dysphoria and common issues in child development, we may be helped by counseling and mental health assistance with a biblical worldview. You guys want to say anything about that story? or Maybe we should just keep reading. Yeah, let's keep reading. This is his second story, or his example of how the anthology of stories that we need. Two of three. On society, my friend Jan is biologically female in terms of physiology and chromosomes, but she embraces a butch queer identity while living a lesbian lifestyle. I watched Jan over the years shift from a tomboy to a celibate woman with same-sex attraction pursuing Christian ordination to her professed identity today in a denomination that accepts the pagan worldview. Are we willing to relativize everything we know about a person and create hundreds of identities and orientations for both gender and sexuality that are up for grabs? Does nature, let alone God, provide some degree of order and placement for the self? And I guess we'll just read the third story on biology. Some young adults are reversing the decades of hormone treatments and even genital reconstructive surgery that their parents and medical professionals inflicted on them in their childhood. Some in the medical community are now calling such premature actions child abuse. I'm hesitant to let more children suffer until additional research into gender dysphoria can suggest alternative ways for helping people develop well. And then he closes out this section and says, Personal stories related to major philosophical categories are weighty, convincing, and helpful for today's witness. Right. If you're playing at home, folks, did you see anything wrong with anything that I just read? No one's saying anything, Nathan. I don't. Are they listening? Maybe it's because they're throwing up. Maybe because maybe it's because it made them sick to their stomachs. Maybe. <laughs> that would be a good response. Well, there's a lot to tear into here. Maybe it's just so overwhelmingly bad that Hmm. they just don't know what to say, except to sit there and stare with their mouths open. Mm. Like, where where did you say this was published again? On the Gospel Coalition? It was indeed. Well, do we want to start with the sentence? Yes. Yeah, Yeah. Let's just start with the sentence. So let me go back to this. It's his third story. Some young adults are reversing the decades of hormone treatments and even genital reconstructive surgery that their parents and medical professionals inflicted on them in their childhood. Some in the medical community are now calling this such premature actions, quote unquote, child abuse. I'm hesitant to let more children suffer until additional research into gender dysphoria can suggest alternative ways for helping people develop well. Wow. Well, I'm glad he's hesitating. <laughs> yeah, me too. About those suffering kids. What does he mean again? What's, what's going on there? Pretty sure what he means is that you know, he's he's just not sure that we should allow people to mutilate children anymore. It's just until we have a better hmm. understanding of gender dysphoria. 
Well, but maybe we should or maybe we shouldn't allow doctors to surgically remove eight-year-old boys' genitals and start giving them hormone therapy that causes them to develop breasts. Until additional research mm. into gender dysphoria can suggest alternative ways for helping people develop well. He's hesitant about that. I don't know. If we if we gave if we gave a, a parallel statement about something else, would that help? Let's see. I'm hesitant to allow... I don't even know how to do it. Sorry. It's so perverse. Um, I'm hesitant to allow more people to... Angry people to murder each other with knives until further research can, can show us how... Into anger management. Right. Into anger management. Well, not to play the Nazi card, but I'm hesitant to allow the final solution to move forward until such time as further research into the Jewish question has yeah. occurred. I'm hesitant to allow more mothers to slaughter their unborn children until further mm. research into the... Yep. Okay. Well, so that's absolutely terrible. Yeah. What, what do we even need to say about that? <laughs> Well, the first thing that boggled my mind about this sentence is that you can actually, it's open to being interpreted different ways. It says, I'm hesitant to let more children suffer until additional research. The suffering could actually mean he's hesitant to let people suffer with gender dysphoria and is therefore willing to let them undergo these surgeries until additional surgery means. I think a a, a charitable reading of this precludes that possibility. But it's only a matter of which direction your sympathies lie. There's no moral principle at all. Yeah, he is perfectly willing to allow... What he says is, I'm willing to allow people who bear the name professional to mutilate children and to give them hormone blockers and mm-hmm. alternative hormones, so long as the research backs up that it is a good way to handle this fictional category of gender dysphoria. Right. And so right now, it, it seems as though the mutilation of little children's bodies and those hormone treatments, it seems as though, Jake, it makes him a little uneasy when you say... Yeah, it seems to make him a little uneasy, especially given the mounting research that over time people have regretted allowing uh, that happening to them. I bet he would also be a little uneasy about abortion. To be Well, if there were any victims that could speak about how they had been harmed by it, then maybe it would make him be hesitant about it. Even principal pagans are more uneasy about this kind of thing than this guy. <laughs> Am I wrong? Well, no. So here's the thing, and he does this throughout the the article, and you see it in these other in the first story. What he really is eager to do is to show deference to so-called professionals and allow their credentials to trump scripture, the way that God made the world and the way that God made. Well, we could trace us. that thread all the way back to the title, right? Courage and tactics in the gender debate that's using the world's language right the world is like come on guys we all we need to have a debate about what constitutes gender no we don't god said what constitutes sex well the fact is the the world says gender debate and that's part of the way that they engage in a war on sexuality right it's a it's a tactic of the world's to reframe Mm -hmm. the debate to reframe the war in terms of a debate to undermine the christian witness and so we're talking about tactics, but he's already got bad tactics in the beginning because he's once again willing a, to argue on, on the, the world's, world's terms. terms. I'm sorry to use once this. Once you give up the terms, you've lost, mm-hmm. you've made a massive tactical error. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to use this analogy, but it's just such a good analogy. I don't know how not to use it. It's like the Nazis came up with a euphemism. It was the final solution to the Jewish question. That's what it was called yeah. when they massacred how many? Six million people? Yeah. For someone, for a Christian of that time to write an article saying courage and tactics in answering the in, Jewish in, question. In the debate about the Jewish question. It's yeah. like 
No guys, there is no Jewish question. The question is, human beings should be allowed to live and not be murdered brutally by mm -hmm. you. Yeah. To use your terminology to engage the battle using your euphemisms is to lose the battle. Is to lose yep. the battle, right. Case Thorpe basically does that the whole time. Yeah, and then he wants to, he, he never really speaks in terms of founding any of his arguments on scripture or on what the Bible mm -hmm. teaches about sexuality. Mm -hmm. He never uses the word sex or sexuality throughout his article, which is part of the, again, him seeding terms, mm -hmm. which again is terrible tactics and gutless tactics for that right. matter, speaking of courage. Mm -hmm. And you see this, I mean, we buzz through straight to the, the most egregious place. Right. But we could go back and work our way backwards and just point this out over and over and over again mm -hmm. throughout the article up to this point. What are his story? Like his first story that he tells is, well, you know, my college buddy's daughter said three times growing up that she wanted to be a boy. But then it turns out that she, this is a natural part of childhood, according to child psychologists. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah. today she gladly embraces her femininity. So look. Use child, psycho child, child psychologists, psychologists say that this is a, Yeah, they're on your side. They say that this is a normal part of childhood development. And now she's a happy woman. And if we had gone and, you know, said, oh, she said she wants to be a boy. Let's do the thing. We wouldn't have been listening to these child psychologists telling us that this is a natural part of development. So we can, we can listen to these right. child psychologists. Right. Right? Yeah. And so he comes down to the end. And he says, as we discern between gender, gender dysphoria, dysphoria and common issues in childhood development. So he doesn't want to even take on the category of gender dysphoria. Mm -hmm. He accepts that that is a thing. Right. Mm -hmm. That we have to discern between gender right. dysphoria, probably a real thing that we have to deal with that may include allowing children to be mutilated, child development. As we try to discern that, we may be helped by counseling and mental health assistance. With a biblical worldview, he qualifies. But still. Based on one story, if I'm a pagan, I say, okay, I've got an anthology of stories about people who were sad when they were one sex and wanted to be another. I've got tons of psychologists and experts and people on my side. Like, we can, we can sit here trading stories and trading experts all day. You actually haven't brought anything to the table when you bring your one stupid story. I mean, I'm sorry, Mr. Thorpe, but this is also... Can I just criticize this on the level of you've done the classic gospel coalition. We have to communicate to people through stories. And then you clearly <laughs> don't know what constitutes an interesting story. Yeah. I mean, I'm or sorry. A compelling story. Right. Story that Your story is, I knew a person. I mean, the principle is good of, hey, we can get past people's defenses by telling them oh, a sure. story. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's. Absolutely. We do that all the time. The we principle begins with Jesus telling Jesus parables. Tells parables. The prophet Nathan tells a parable to David when right. he goes to him. Yeah. This kind of thing, God uses stories and history to teach us lessons and to get past our defenses. But what if and to the prophet Nathan had gone to David and said, I knew somebody who committed adultery and... They ended up regretting they it. They ended up regretting it. And actually, a lot of experts say it's better not to commit, commit adultery. adultery right? Yeah. <laughs> that actually, it could be potentially harmful to your mental health. Thanks, Nathan. That was an interesting story. And I've got a second story about a guy that committed adultery a lot and uh he still does and um but i think he's miserable maybe i think he is miserable pretty sure but it sure sure does make you have to answer uh, looking at him you have you, to ask a lot of questions about adultery yeah you do yeah and and the goodness of it really maybe you know do you think that nature provides us with any 
evidence that adultery is bad. I mean, let alone God, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the, there I was. I was quoting from his second story, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I was just rephrasing what he, the question Direct he asks. quote, does nature, let alone God, provide some degree of order and placement for the self? Oh, please. This is what we call courage? <laughs> Whatever happened to God has said, Gospel Coalition people, let us make man in our own image. Yeah, I, I think. One thing this this should help listeners do is be on the lookout for the same kind of thing when it's done by someone who's better at it. What I and by this kind of thing I mean not really not being ashamed of the authority of God's word mm-hmm. because there there are better writers who do this in a way that is not so clunky, is not so egregious, is not so obvious, even if it's just as destructive in the end. But so much of what everything about this article is aimed at doing is aimed at cloaking a biblical argument in the world's terms in such a way as to make him sound smart, so mm-hmm. he thinks, mm-hmm. intellectual, and to make you as a Christian feel validated because you can understand his intellectual speak that cleverly hides the Bible and God's word behind these pagan authorities, it makes you feel good and validated mm-hmm. about your position. Mm-hmm. And so even back earlier in the article, which we mentioned, you know, he doesn't have the guts to say, what we need here is to defend the faith, right. and we need to preach and teach our mm-hmm. people about what God says about sex. He says, reclaiming apologetic preaching and teaching around fundamental categories of personhood. No, prepares- you skipped a word. Fundamental philosophical categories. Yes, right. mm-hmm. Oh, philosophical. Well, uh, yes. okay, good. I'm glad that we Christians have philosophy, because it kind of feels like they have philosophy, and so I'm glad we have it. Now we can feel good. Yeah. By regularly, to confront this crisis, church leaders must pivot towards apologetics. By regularly contrasting pagan anthropologies with the biblical witness, we can show the shortcomings of the new prevailing worldview and the soundness of Christian theology. Reclaiming apologetic preaching and teaching around fundamental philosophical categories of personhood prepares Christians for a smart and effective witness concerning gender issues. Yeah. Okay, come on. Like, what is he trying to do here? He's virtue signaling with his rhetoric. Mm -hmm. Mm. And the virtues that he's signaling are some kind of supposed intellectual quality to what he has to say because he's going to use words like apologetic and anthropology prevailing worldview fundamental philosophical categories of personhood and smart and effective witness concerning gender issues mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. yeah he, he has a good good enough setup legislatures are already passing speech codes for personal pronoun use making school dress codes genderless and adding multiple categories for gender on government documents and if a christian disagrees the reaction is more than mere social pressure at times political violence has erupted as one's group's vision for humanity overrides others in the name of rights pretty good setup what he set up is there is an active war against the biblical understanding of sexuality mm-hmm. and then what 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 must what weapons shall he, is he going to arm us with so that we can have courage and sound tactics in this war. Well, the one weapon he isn't going to argue with us in this war against biblical sexuality is... Is the sword of the spirit. Yeah, mm. like the Bible, yeah. the B-I-B-L. Like, well, you know, actually, guys, we're before we go too much further, we actually, I, I'm, I'm being told we need to go to a break. And I understand that actually someone else in Sanityville is having a good experience with an anthology of stories. And so uh, we'll go to that and we'll come back right back and we'll talk a lot more about this. Great. Or late, Miss Rosebloom. Sorry, Doc. I was caught in some traffic down by the Perkin Bean. Did you see the road work there? Actually, young lady, that puts me in mind of a story. See, I drove by the Perkin Bean just today, and a rather interesting thing happened. I did see the road work. 
the very roadwork you speak of. And? Well, do with that what you will. Now, let's get to it. I believe you're having issues with your mother. (laughs) Uh, Do you want them alphabetically, chronologically, or what? She doesn't listen. She's completely controlling. Stop right there. Do you know, in 10th grade, I used to have trouble listening to... Uh Uh-huh. Well, my mom... Beethoven sonatas. That's what I had trouble listening to, in the sense that I didn't enjoy them. Truth be told, I found them tedious. In fact, on one occasion, I distinctly recall I was listening to one of Beethoven's sonatas. Do you know what I thought? I thought, I don't like this. I find this to be... Tedious? The very word I used. Tedious. Yeah, I'm glad I've never felt like that. Do go on. Right, yeah. So, my mother... They never seem to be going anywhere. What? Beethoven's sonatas, my dear young woman. I mean to say, if you're going to compose music, it ought to go somewhere. It ought to have a point. I remember an occasion, a different occasion from the other occasion I mentioned, in which I thought, if you're going to compose music, it ought to go somewhere and have a point. It is nice when things have a point. Anyway... Weren't you in the middle of telling me about your mother? Yes, she doesn't really listen. You know, everyone has a mother, my dear young woman. Absolutely everyone. Uh, yeah, I did know that, believe it or not. It's a fact of science. (laughs) It is. You see, basic biology dictates that, at least when it comes to mammals, a mother is a necessary part of the equation of life. Well, my equation right now is me plus mom equals terrible. Like, we really, really don't get along. Now, let me stop you right there. I couldn't help but note the phrase you used, get along. Of course, the phrase get along reminds me of the profound Kenny Chesney song, Get Along tells a rather wonderful story about a man wearing a t-shirt with a Bible in one hand and a bottle in the other. Yeah, see, I'm more of like a rock and roll Get along while we can. Always give love the upper hand. Paint a wall, learn to dance, call your mom, buy a boat, drink a beer, sing a song, make a friend. Can't we all get along? Those are some of the lyrics to Kenny Chesney's Get along. I could have swore that was Yellow Submarine. No, it's Get Along. Kenny Chesney's Get Along. Okay, so how can I get along with my mom? Can I tell you a a secret, my dear? Does it happen to come with a long story? Well, that's just the thing. I think that we all need stories to understand each other. Anthologies of stories, in fact. Anthologies that we can call upon as friends in time of need. Why... Whenever I'm feeling uncomfortable or out of my depth, I turn to stories. You don't say. Your story, of course, is that your mother doesn't listen. But your mother has a story, too. And, as a matter of fact, I have my own story. It goes a little something like this. Once upon a time, a very wicked witch lived in a cottage in the woods. She was a bad mother. Then she died. The end. So, in this situation, my mother is the witch. Sometimes I like to imagine my mother as the witch in the woods, killed by the fell stroke of a dashing father figure. Wonderful woman. Uh, is, is now the part of the story where you tell me what to do with that? Young lady, a story is as story does. The application is in the heart of the listener. Haven't you read any Carl Jung? 
Actually, neither have I. I. Actually, I think in my mom's eyes, she's the good guy, not the witch. Which witch? Uh-huh. The witch I told you about in that story, or the other witch I'm about to tell you about right now. Uh. You see, Sabrina was a teenager still learning to deal with her witch powers. Turns out that being a witch isn't all it's cracked up to be. You're just talking about a TV show now. I don't believe it. If you're going to tell stories, you have to, like, have good stories. Oh, I have many stories, my dear. Once a young man found himself trapped on an island. Are you about to tell me the plot of Lost? Well, there was a skipper, you see. Then, of course, there was the millionaire and the wife, the movie star, the professor, and let's not forget Marianne. Absolutely delightful. (sighs) Okay, let me tell you a story. It's about a psychiatrist who didn't listen to a word his patients said. Absolutely delightful. Reminds me of the time I listened to some sonatas. Oh, darn, oh no, I turned into a cow. I'm gonna start mooing now. I think I'll jump over the moon. That's my story. The moon, yes. You may recall the book, Good Night Moon. There was a red telephone, you may remember, and a red balloon. Unless I'm very much mistaken. Last week, I taught a giraffe to speak Chinese. Do you want to hear that story? Well, of course, we all have our own stories, my dear. In fact, saying that reminds me of an amusing thing that I observed only yesterday. You see, I was walking down the street, when what should I observe but an amusing thing? Very amusing, I assure you. Yeah, you don't listen at all. You just build a wall around yourself made entirely out of your own self-narrative. Actually, my mom does the same thing. And you know what I've learned today? I've learned I don't have to listen. Yes, yes, my dear, exactly. Exactly what? I see you've learned how to play my little game. What? That's what I said to my wife yesterday when she played miniature chess with me for the first time. Miniature chess, you see, is like regular chess, but smaller. A little game, if you will. Which is exactly the phrase I used with my wife yesterday when we played miniature chess, a little game. Well, let me use this phrase. Hasta la vista. Charming girl. Absolutely charming. Dolores, send in my five o'clock. Get Mrs. Buckner on the phone, would you? Have I got some stories to tell her? And we're back. Oh, Dr. Buckner, you are a good psychiatrist or whatever it is you are. Tale. It's a never-ending nightmare. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I like Dr. Buckner. <laughs> but I'm not sure he's really good at his job. And it, I don't know. It may. It feels like it almost reflects a little bit on what we're talking about. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, no way. <laughs> all right, guys. Where were we? We were just talking about... How he doesn't arm us with the sword of the spirit. Well, let's go back to this philosophical category section, right? So he says, Mm -hmm. key to the gender debate is what makes a person and how one's gender is integral or not to that personhood. If you translate that into like regular person speech, that would be what? I don't know that we should translate it into regular person speech. I think we should translate it into what he should have said. Right. Key to fighting the assault on sexual... Yeah, key... On, on God. sexuality, on, se- on God's design for sexuality is understanding what makes a man a man and a woman a woman. Right. How about that? Christian theology gives us what we need to navigate this evolving c- cultural frontier. In order to do that, we should believe the Bible. The Bible teaches us how to 
Right, but then there's kind of a disconnect. If, if what he's in fact saying is the Bible teaches us how to do this, he then says, the Old and New Testaments are the foundation on which many of the Western traditions, I'm sorry, on which much of the Western tradition bases its ideas of a person. Yeah. So you'll notice yeah, what yeah. he's not saying. He's not saying the Bible is the true and authoritative word of God. God speaks through it. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It is, it will do, it will fight for you. It is authoritative. What he is saying is, actually, a lot of stuff that you like from modern legislature you, to your iPhone is based on, he's made no actual truth statement. Right. That's right. That's right. What do, I think the best read you could give on that, this is not, this is too nice a read. It, it's irresponsible, but is that he's assuming, right, the truth of the Bible and he's giving you an apologetic tool. He's saying, hey, most people have some buy-in to the Western tradition. So show them that it comes from the Bible. The Bible has that authority. But all I'm doing is really taking what he wrote and making it something I think is kind of useful. That would have been a good thing to do, but it's not what he actually does. Right. Right. It's not what he actually does. Well, and I just keep thinking about, I guess most of our listeners know the story of my sad little article, An Open Letter to Ray, where I attempted to argue, I know you have some buy-in to Star Wars, listener. So now let's talk about sex. And nobody cared. This is the thing that I can't emphasize enough about this sort of thing. The pagans aren't out there waiting to be impressed by your understanding of philosophy or of Western culture. They are given over to depravity and to sin, and they like it like that. And so you can speak the word of God into their life with courage or not. But having some tactic that involves dressing the word of God up in clothes that you think that they might like a little bit better it's a dumb tactic and what's the difference between that and being a jew to the jews and a greek to the greeks the difference is one is done with faith and the other is not you know in other words what i'm not saying is you should never use tactics and never be smart in how you address people what i am saying is at the end of the day the cross of christ tactic is to hide the word of god behind a cloak of something that you think is going to be acceptable to a pagan if you think a spoon full of sugar is going to make the medicine go down. If you think that what you're going to do is somehow soften the edge of scripture in a way that will make it more acceptable to pagans, you will lose and they will not accept you. You can be Paul in Athens and you can say, you guys like gods? Well, here's the real one. (laughs) Being a Jew to a Jew or a Greek, Greek to a Greek is really about sharpening your ability to get to people's hearts and apply the word of God to them, not dulling it. Mm-hmm. Right. And this, this, these tactics are about dulling the edge. Right. It's about mm-hmm. dulling the edge of the word of, of God. Right. And therefore it will not penetrate people's, you've taken al- almost all of the bite out of it. Where's the courage? Where's the, in, where is he saying anything that has any teeth to it, that mm. has any ability to get past anybody's defenses or get to their heart or challenge them. He wants us to say, hey, you like the West? Well, a lot of the West is founded on Jesus. Now, honestly, folks, what pagan, what person in your life that you can imagine would be like, oh, wow. Wow. Tell me more about I guess I'm against trans rights because Jesus gave me an iPhone. Yeah. That's not how people work. (laughs) (laughs) No, people, people take what they have for granted. <laughs> they they like what they have, and they like it by their own lights, and they're convinced that their own deepest held intuitions are the things that matter, and they just accept what they have. Well, and that's why I suppose we should actually finish. We haven't actually read this whole article. Oh boy, do we, you want to just? Oh yeah, do that sure. Next? Fine. Just, so, just one other quick thing in this yeah. philosophical category section. I 
we've we've read it over several times now, and I can't. I always notice that even when he brings up the you know the foundation on which much much of the Western tradition bases its ideas of a person, and he starts talking about biblical themes or biblical things, he doesn't even say male and female, made male and female. Does he ever say the word sex in no, this article? I don't think so. Nope. Which is which is amazing. Yeah. Even even for the tactic he took. That mm. is really... He doesn't say sex. He doesn't say man. He doesn't say... Woman. Woman, except... In in the story. In the story on... Yeah. She's a biological woman is yeah. important for the... Biological female. Yeah. For the quote-unquote story to make quote-unquote yeah. sense. That's it. All right, let me finish. So the next little section is called Need for Courage. Finally, ministers need courage. It's risky to counter fashionable narratives and agendas. Historical figures, the word of God, and the witness of the early church, therefore inspire us i just think it's worth noting that he puts historical figures first and the word of god's kind of in the middle and then the witness of the early church going on had not moses paul martin luther william wilberforce dorothy sayers or martin luther king jr worked against prevailing tides what sort of world would we inhabit we often celebrate their accomplishments with little regard to their daily lives their deep stress and their moments of doubt confusion and frustration but they overcame and so can we we can find in encouragement, that's just a typo, folks. Sick, as they say. We can find in encouragement in God's word and its message of courage. Here Moses is charged to Israel in the face of the Amorites. Then he quotes Deuteronomy 31.6, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Unquote. Likewise, the boldness of the apostles in the chapters following Pentecost should also steal us. For the same power and comfort of the Holy Spirit is available to us today. Next section in closing is called Our Challenge. Kevin DeYoung reminds us that the ongoing sexual revolution is one of the major challenges of our times. Profoundly, and then there's a quote from Kevin DeYoung, which goes like this. Profoundly different versions of sexual morality cannot be wished away by civil discourse, though civility is good, nor washed away by theological compromise, that would be bad. Because the problem of sex is inevitably tied to the problem of Christianity's relation to the world, it is a tension that will surface during any great readjustment in the relationship between Christianity and the world. In other words, the problem is not going away. Let's hope the church's winsome commitment to beauty and truth doesn't either. Thorpe concludes, We of this generation are leading Christ's church square in the middle of a great readjustment. May we be courageous for the task. Task of the readjustment? Uh, uh, What's his name? Kevin DeYoung uses the word sex. Yeah, he says sexual morality. And then he says the problem of sex. That problem of sex oh, that's is a quote. a quote within the quote. That's, that's right. Kevin DeYoung right. quoting that's the book right. that he's, yeah, it's right. Turtles on Turtles, folks. Interesting. The point is, the, the quote that Thorpe uses is actually probably better than anything that he wrote. Yeah. Uh, what else do you guys want to say about this article? I, I really like putting Dorothy Sayers in the category with Moses, Paul, Martin, Luther. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did she do for the world? She wrote some detective novels and was a educational reformer. Maybe? That's right. That's reformer. right. Yeah. Yeah, she, yeah, yeah. She she really cared about classical yeah, education. Classical education. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's the a little like he's playing to the audience there, maybe. But whatever, I'll give him that, I suppose. And then he says, "We often celebrate their accomplishments, little regard to their daily lives, their deep stress, and their moments of doubt, confusion, and frustration." That's just a funny state. St- it's like his world is must be so nice. Case Thorpe just lives in a really clean, kind world because the worst thing he can imagine anyone going through is deep stress, doubt, confusion, 
and frustration. Like I go through, I, I wake up and before I've been awake for 15 minutes, I have deep stress, moments of doubt, <laughs> confusion, yeah, and yeah, frustration. Yeah. Much <laughs> less. Nine times I was beaten. Right. <laughs> yeah, the, the Apostle Paul really went through. <laughs> one, one time I went through a moment of doubt. And As thrice, I thrice have I been through deep stress. <laughs> <laughs> Confusion and, and frustration. And two times the Jews were sort of frustrating. Yeah. It's like if you're going to do the work of from, great reform, if you're going to fight the culture wars, uh, then you better be prepared easy, to easy. be frustrated. You, the work of the great readjustment. Right, I'm sorry. If you're going to readjust, prepare for frustration. Maybe you might have to readjust your gender i don't know you but hopefully i mean i'm hesitant to i'll readjust my gender so it's more manly you really just need to talk to a psychologist about this sort of thing because they kind of really are the ones defining the terms we have to let them do that it seems like nature let alone god does give us some categories for the ordering and placement of the self jake so in your face you know booyah oh man booyah booyah yeah. Can we talk a little bit more about his rhetoric? Because his rhetoric does bug me. And we were intentionally being nice, sort of, as we went through the article, mm-hmm. because we didn't want people to, we didn't just want to beat up on every sentence. But I think it's worth talking about. I'm going to read some lines and let's translate them into normal English. Well, we should just tell people we did go through this once before. Yeah, this is our second time doing this episode, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were pretty intense out of the gate just with his rhetoric and then playing it back, realized that. People might not be there with us yet. Yeah, we so were we all over the place. We needed to get to the the bad stuff, the bad bad stuff first, so that. But now that we've established that Case Thorpe is in fact a baddie, a baddie doing a bad job at something badly, let's talk about <laughs> some more of his badness. So I'm going to give you guys some sentences, and I want you to translate them into normal speak. Reclaiming apologetic preaching and teaching around fundamental categories of personhood prepares Christians for a smart and effective witness concerning gender issues. Preaching and teaching in such a way as to defend the faith by declaring what God has said about man and woman, will equip our congregations to be effective witnesses on biblical sexuality. Personal stories related to major philosophical categories are witty, convincing, and helpful for today's witness. Uh, When you tell stories about what's true, it helps your witness. Now, this is the key. This is the key, what Ben just said. You had human beings in your sentence. Oh, I'm sorry, Nathan. Let me fix that. Yeah, for you should you. fix that. Um, when one tells stories, when when stories are told, when stories are told related to what is true, it is helpful. Now, what about stories that go against the cultural grain can open eyes to see situations in a new light? When you tell stories that don't fit in with paganism, people are set back on their heels a little. Now, Ben, you just said you, which oh, made me think man. about myself, and you said people, well, which I don't made wanna, me think about people that what I What I want to think of is about stories and the effects that right. they cause. Okay, if you could just make that more abstract and kind of dehumanize it. Man, I don't know it, if I could do it better than Case Thorpe already did, so yeah. I'll let him have it. it. Did I already do? It is risky to counter. It is risky you to know. counter fair, fashionable narratives and agendas. Oh. It, Ooh. it might Oof. cause some degree of pain to go against the stories and agendas, the narratives being told today. If you stand against fashionable beliefs, people will hate you. See? People again. I ben, know. You keep bringing people. Here's the thing. Here, here's, here's the alarm bells that go off in my, senti- in my sentence, in my brain when I read something like this. And I, I do not forgive. I'm sorry, folks. People are taught to write in abstract language. And so you do kind of have to just put up with it because so much of our language is abstract, but our language is abstract because we live in a decadent 
culture and decadent cultures use abstract language and they use euphemistic language because they don't like to talk about their own decadence. What do I mean by that? What I mean is he's using all these words and these abstract concept kind of words that don't make you think about yourself. Don't make you think about people. Don't make you think about in other words, he treats ideas as if they have no consequences that are personal or real or tangible for mm-hmm. any actual real human being. And that is inherent in his language. If he wrote in such a way that it says, if you do this, people may do this, that makes your imagination imagine people and imagine yourself doing things. He and carefully avoids ever doing that. And that, again, is part of the tactics of the world. That's why they do that. They want to depersonalize it so it can be abstract right. so that... Once you swallow the philosophical pill, people can be churned up in the process. Right. Uh, I mean, uh, the, the classic example is pregnancies are terminated, is, is a abstract way of saying babies are, are killed. killed, right? You say babies, or you even say fetuses are destroyed. I have a visual picture that I can latch onto well, that's icky. Yeah. But you say, I, I understand fetuses are destroyed isn't good, but you even go that far and suddenly I'm imagining something. You it's, abort it's, a fetus. Right. But you say, pregnancy is terminated, it becomes abstract, and that's how liars lie, by making things into abstractions. And so for Case Thorpe to just use the world's abstractions... Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what he, I think what, what gets me the most is the lie inherent in just doing that and making your language abstract, mm-hmm. which is that if you mask your language in a way that's nice, the other people will play nice too. Mm-hmm. But all that's happening is that their abstractions are hiding the violence of mutilating children Right. And killing babies. They're not playing nice. They're not playing nice. And as soon and as you, you render terms, yourself... seeding ground. You right. are rendering yourself impotent Absolutely to oppose impotent. them. That's by right. pretending there's no violence here. We are nice people. These are abstract things. We can discuss them in a reasonable way. And by reasonable, I mean, what sounds reasonable to you? Because I want to talk in a way that I think will please you. And once you give that over, you're done. Yeah. And eh, ball game, you know, uh, game set match. <laughs> Now, speaking of rhetoric, I think really how I want to close this episode is I just want to say, Ben, you're a purple unicorn. Nathan, the purple unicorn disagrees. Now, Ben, you do realize that in referring to yourself in the third person abstractly as the purple unicorn, you are ceding to Nathan the whole premise and therefore Mm, losing the fight. Yeah, you realize that, don't you, purple unicorn? (laughs) Man, I am so mad. I'm going to stamp my hooves. I'm going to walk off. You guys... You've really done it this time. You know, if you had a horn, you might just want to stab him with it in, in the debate. You know, Nathan, that is that is going to happen to you because look what you've done. You've created the purple unicorn. Now the purple unicorn is going to take you down. Just like the purple unicorn. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> that was so amazing me- closing metaphor. Wow. <laughs> I think we ought to let the laughter and everything ride. Yeah. All right, folks. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Case Thorpe's strategy, about as bad as Ben's <laughs> purple unicorn strategy, which wasn't, we, we were just play acting. Ben's not really a purple unicorn for people that are just listening. Gotcha. And, gotcha. Yeah, you're not listener. a purple unicorn, Ben. And I don't think that responding to yourself in the third person as a purple unicorn is a bad strategy. Hmm. You don't think it's a bad strategy? Is no, it's said? not. It's good tactics. Oh. Yeah, kay. actually. Yeah, and this article's great. Yep. All right. Great. We're done. Well, listener, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning into Sound of Sanity. I'm Ben Sulzer, your host in this alternate universe where... <laughs> alternate universe. It's an alternate <laughs> I universe. I can't even talk. <laughs> 
Ben has put you his head go back down. To being the assistant performer, <laughs> Ben, <laughs> assistant <laughs> to the associate performer, Actually, Ben. Ben, assistant <laughs> performer today. I want you to do the outro. Do the outro. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Sound of Sanity today was produced by Nathan Alberson, executive produced by Jake Mensel and Nathan Alberson. Until next time, listener, stay sane.